Okay, I got it. What if we just went into a normal week in review, as if nothing about society has changed, and we're like talking about the run-up to the Wisconsin primary, uh, who we think is gonna win the Masters, etc., etc. And then we're like, April Fool, suckers. Uh huh. Well, you know, because none of that stuff's going on right now. Yeah, I'm aware. Well, there you go. It's very topical. Yeah, but that's not funny. That's sad. Alright, whatever, but we can make it funny. And I thought that's what you were just trying to do. It's a rough concept, dude. I think it has promise. Let's put a pin it, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> I'm confused at what we were just doing. Whatever, man. I thought you knew what real funny is. Your mom is funny. My mom? Yeah, she's pretty funny. I think that's where I get it from. Love you, Mom! Love you too, Mom! Uh, my Mom! This is Pete now. I'm sure Ron's mom is great, and I'm personally addressing my mother at this moment. Love you, Mom! <laughs> That's not bad. I mean, we can do the whole thing again if you want. We can do it twice if you want. The Born to Be Mild Podcast. Hey, hello, and welcome back to Quarantine to be Mild for the week of April 5th, 2020. While everyone's mind is still occupied by COVID, we've got some very special guests today for you to shine a little good news during this long storm. For Ronald Cabuno, I'm Peter Crawford. Ron, tell us a little bit about who we were lucky enough to bring in this week. Well, bud, we were actually able to get the mayor of the city of Struthers, Miss Kat Miller. Very cool. She is going to be here to talk to us about the quarantine that she has in place for her town. And we also have Tarek Youssef of the COVID-19 Ventilator Open Source Project. And he is going to be here along with his partner to let us know about how things are progressing with their attempt to bring very cheap ventilators to market in a hurry. And while we do have an absolute abundant amount of news to go over today. Way too I feel much. like I've got to say at the outset, which we should probably say at the outset of every show now, things may have changed since we've recorded this. Um, but I can say that quarantine is getting the better of me. I broke it last night, uh, went out and got a pizza down the road. I wiped down the <laughs> box and I ate too much and I had a really bad stomach ache this morning. So I am powering through this podcast, bud. Paying the price. I am. But he's paying the price for all of you out there. So, yeah. The, <laughs> How are you up, doing? I'm doing great, man. Um, I, I, I don't like being quarantined, but I'm finding ways around it. Uh, yeah, keeping up with the news is this virus, trying to keep up daily with it is like trying to keep up with, you know, Hussein Bolt in a, in a race. You just, you're just not going to win. So we, we do our best to keep you up to date. But yeah, by the time you listen to this, God knows what has happened or will happen by the time you finish listening. Absolutely. Uh, but for me, uh, yeah, things have been good. Uh, the one thing that is uh, kind of burning my britches is that uh, Hocking Hills closed down, which means no yes, more hikes. I saw that. Yeah. So it was the first of the state parks to close in Ohio, I it, do believe. It was. Yeah. So kind of a big deal. That's a really good hiking park. And uh, I'm going to have to get more exercise in at home, which is not a hard thing. I've got a lot of home gym equipment, but yeah, that, that kind of uh, pissed me off a little bit. But you got to be safe. So. We're doing the Ohio yeah. thing right now where 
The temperature has no idea what it is. I've got the heat on half the day, the air conditioning on half the day, back to the heat, back to the AC. Um, it's a, a really weird time to be stuck inside because usually in Ohio, this is when we're all excited to get outside and we're not doing that right now, but we're making do. Oh, well, I got to tell you, this neck of the woods, I am getting outside because I have a yard and it needs tending to. Oh, yeah? Nice. Well, yeah. as long as you're out there by yourself with a mask. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm on private property, so the mask isn't even recommended in those quarters because we're keeping it tight-knit. Oh, um, I'll take mine off then. I was wearing one right now. Yeah. Oh, I can hear you. There you go. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, even the trip to Sam's Club has gotten a little dicey. Um, I noticed that people did, people were wearing masks this week, and I did feel better wearing my mask in public. I didn't feel like as much of an outcast. Um, and I also felt like I definitely needed it in the places where the aisles aren't as wide, like the grocery store right. or if you have to go to a local hardware store or something like that. People might not be ready to social distance quite as quickly. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty encouraging. Um, I, I don't know if I necessarily feel a lot safer, but I do feel safer to see a lot of people out with masks on. And they've since the White House has finally given in to the CDC recommendation for us to actually wear masks starting on Friday, I believe, um, I've seen more masks, especially at the grocery store. And uh, it's kind of interesting to see all the different things that people have fashioned to turn into their masks. We're wearing snowboarding face covers as our masks here. So I've seen all kinds of stuff. Whatever works right now, they're saying just cloth. I am really disappointed in our government right now with the whole mask fiasco because like I've been saying for weeks and actually months to this point, don't you know that masks help? They don't hurt. They started by saying, don't wear one. It's actually detrimental. It's detrimental to what? This isn't World War II. We don't need to worry about morale. We need to worry about science. Yeah. And so at first it was, don't wear one because you're going to scare your neighbor. And then it was, don't wear one. And what they really meant was, don't wear one because you're going to take one away because we have a shortage. And then what they finally are saying is, wear one, but don't wear a good one. And you don't need a good one. And then they're finally going to say, oh, we have enough now. Everyone can wear a good one if you can find one because, yes, they actually do work and they are recommended. Like, get out of here. Yeah, it's it's really good and people need to continue to understand that when you're wearing the mask, it's not necessarily for your own protection. It's you protecting other people from whatever droplets you have and the same for them wearing their masks. It's keeping the air clearer of those droplets and particulates that are carrying around that virus. Sure, but I am looking at this in the context of politics and the fallout that it can have. Because you have people, like, I swear to God, I listen to the Reason podcast way too much, and I get very worked up. And I was in the car the other day, and Brittany's like, you listen to this and just get angry? And I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I'm like, I have to know what the enemy is thinking. You know, like, this is ridiculous. Because they're sitting there, and they're saying that there was... There was nothing wrong with a libertarian approach. As a matter of fact, you can just see the the title of their episode was How the Government Failed. So in a libertarian's world, they want to have no government. But when something come around like this, all they want to know is how did the government fail? And so they were able to point out the hypocrisy in the mask protocol as one of the major flaws and one of the major reasons that conspiracy theories need to stick around is because look right here in plain sight, they're changing their mind and 
what they're able to conflate essentially is that government is bad because the Trump government is bad and you're able to knock down um, confidence in both in one fail swoop and that's what really really steams my buns yeah uh, you could say that there's been a lot of uh, flip-flopping not a lot of consistency with uh, the administration itself but all government um, during this entire thing and the masks is just yet another example of where we were saying this at first and everyone's like are you sure and then later they're like no we weren't sure now we're saying this so I guess it's par for the course at this point. I don't know what else I expected. But that sucks because it really does breed dissent and it really does breed conspiracy theorists. Oh, it absolutely does. The conspiracy theorists right now are everywhere. And I mean, a lot of them are obviously out of their minds like most conspiracy theorists. But there are legitimate reasons right now to question things that are going on in our government. There are, but there are also people who are, you know, figureheads in media and culture like Joe Rogan who will sit here and talk about how I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but if I was... I hate that. (laughs) Exactly. That's almost as bad as the, I'm not racist, but... You know, the government didn't release this disease to consolidate authoritarian power amongst us all, but if they did, this is totally how they do it. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, but then like in one in the next sentence he's like these these measures are totally necessary and I agree with him 100%. But like can't you see how maybe like after this is all over these things are going to stick around? And like he's what he was doing was kind of foreshadowing. So it's it's really genius, but it's also very deceptive and and actually very uh detrimental to public confidence. Um, because what he was saying is like, oh, you know what? They have to do all these drastic measures right now, but they're going to stick around afterwards. And that's going to be the government overreach, like digging its claws into society. And what he was kind of foreshadowing is something that might actually happen. Like you might have, like we were talking about antibody tests where people are going to be able to tell you that they are clean and safe and blah, blah, blah. And it's going to be this weird dystopian futuristic thing where you get the good mark and you are free to go. Well, those type of tests haven't, they have a ton of false positive and false negative results. They're not super accurate. What I'm saying is that they're working on making those as fail safe as possible so that that is what we can rely on to get people back into the workforce. But that's that's my point. People are still going to be they, the information that they they do produce false negatives and false positives is going to come out and people are going to look at that as yet another conspiracy and there uh, something else that they're not going to trust. When someone says, oh, right. I got tested, like, it doesn't matter. They're wrong, they're wrong about the positives and they're wrong about the negatives. So I don't and know I what to And I think that they were also finding other methods of testing, like right through your genome or something to that nature, like a genetic test. I've heard about that. I don't know how far along they are down the road on that yet. But, but what I'm saying is yeah. that what you can end up with is something that he is foreshadowing a little bit. And yes, it will be necessary. Could you imagine if you do have that resource and you didn't use it? Like it is of the public's best interest to have these things in place if you want to be able to restart society as we know it. Mm-hmm. But it can be a little scary if you talk about it in those manners. Yeah, I there- we're doing our best at the top, I think, right now. I think they're getting to the point where they're, they're figuring out different ways. You look back to where we were at like late February to early March to where we are now, 
there's a lot more competency, and I'm not going to say it's coming from Trump or it's coming from anywhere else, but the experts are actually getting out there and they're doing the things that we were expecting them to do. Absolutely. About Public a, a and private, yeah. working together. We're seeing a lot more stuff. We've got 1.4 million tested now as of this morning, and we're currently uh-huh. processing it, which is way up, 100,000 per day. That's fantastic. Exactly. That's what we needed exactly. to be seeing weeks and weeks ago. But it is reassuring to know that now, currently, um, we're doing that. And for the first time in a very long time, uh, New York has reported uh, that their uh, coronavirus deaths are falling. Uh, right. right now, Cuomo right. is saying, you know, Let's hopefully that, that's a trend too that continues. soon to say anything. Yeah. So we've got to look long term, but that's a good sign. And it's a sign that these social distancing uh, tactics and staying home and, you know, maybe wearing masks, these things do work long term. Look what South Korea they did. absolutely do work long term. And it's something that we're going to have to adjust to for the initial time frame until we can get a vaccine in place, implemented and disseminated. We're looking at the 12 to 16 month window where everything is really going to have to change as we know it. Yeah, it, it does. We And not even just the way that we are living, but it's got to be something that we're consistent with. And then we have to watch the numbers change. Every day, the projections are different. And I want to see them start looking better instead of worse. To your point about our ramping up the testing, at least we're being as transparent as possible when we have our results. Yeah. We saw on Sunday that the Japanese numbers went through the roof as soon as the Olympics were canceled there. So I don't want to say that they're correlated in any way, but... What, it what does make a lot of sense. What would the correlation be there, you think? Why would they go up because of that? <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> Everyone's reporting has probably been the U.S. intelligence. They're saying that China may be underreported their deaths. Come on now. I don't believe that. That's crazy talk. I think it's absolutely insane to believe that you had an outbreak that was rampant and overrunning every hospital in the known metropolis in a city the size of Chicago, Right. and the death toll was only 3,500. What are you talking about? How does that even compute with what we're seeing on the ground anywhere else? Yeah. The un- in, in, my, in my dumb head, right that doesn't make sense. No, it's, it's, it's crazy. China, Japan, it does, everyone has been guilty of underreporting to a degree. I, and I, I hope they're right, but I mean, it just doesn't compute. No, it doesn't. I, I would like to believe that that's all it is, but it, it, also you have to look at the fact that there's so many, like 85 to 90% of uh, people out there, they're thinking we're never even diagnosed. People who are the asymptomatic people. So there are definitely right. more cases, way more cases that are out there. Um, so there, there are positive ways to view it, negative ways to view it uh, right now uh, for our country. Uh, Fauci is saying that the social distancing is working, but, you know, he's still predicting 300,000 deaths or something like that. So I'd like to see his prediction start to come down if he thinks that this social distancing actually is working. I believe that it Mm -hmm. is and it has in other countries. So uh, we've Mm -hmm. got to keep going with that. But uh, Trump right now telling him or telling everybody that uh, we're doing a good job. Do you agree with that? Of course, I believe that we are doing a good job now. I don't believe that we were doing a good job. I believe we're doing a good job now. We saw a wave of states all get on board this week with the basic premise of stay-at-home policies, finally. And it came down, guess what, on party lines. And you hate to say that politics is going to endanger lives, but I think we just saw it. Well, I mean, that's... That could be said for a lot of other topics before this one, but this is definitely in our face, yeah. 
This is immediate. Yeah. And this is something that they are going to be able to maybe even exonerate themselves by saying, well, we were just waiting for leadership from the top to tell us what to do. So it's a two-way street right. where they can exercise their federalism, but then also maybe pass the buck by saying that you should have just told us what to do at the outset. Yeah. And <laughs> we're trying to trust a leader right now who is, I don't know, when you look at a guy who's literally and openly playing favorites with states in terms of where he's... Uh, getting the medical supplies and uh, the life-saving equipment that people need delivered. Uh, to date, Florida is the only state, I believe, that has got 100% of what they've asked for. And it just so huh. happens Go that, figure. that Governor DeSantis of Florida happens to be a good buddy of Trump's. How about that? And he was the last one or one of the last ones to implement the state. Start, oh, yeah, absolutely. And he's still uh, not totally shut down, so... And we'll find out how it shakes down, you know, blue versus red. But I don't even want to go down that path. I just want to think that no. you're giving people what they need people, case by yeah, case. Yeah, it's been it's uh, ridiculous. We mentioned last week how bad it's gotten in Detroit. Yeah. But however, oh, the man. woman, uh, the governor of Michigan, not so good on terms with Trump currently. And she's literally begging for the medical companies to send her supplies. And they're saying, Trump told us not to send them to you. Like, wow, because wow. she's a Democratic governor that you don't happen to agree with politically. You're punishing the people of her state. It's unbelievable. You have Cuomo coming out on national television and basically spelling it out for everybody. I am outbidding 50 other states for this equipment. I need the federal government to step in and either do some kind of price control or regulation so that we are not sitting here and giving it to the highest bidder to find out whose citizens are going to survive. Yeah. It's ludicrous. No, that's post-apocalyptic type uh, dystopian society rules. Pick and choose who lives and dies. You know, the government's... I, I don't even want to imagine a society like that, but that's literally what's going on right now. Yeah, to the highest bidder. Right. Um, we can all get out our Ayn Rand novels for that one, right? Right. Well, I was going to say Philip K. Dick, but yeah. Exactly. So you have people making the right decision to make up for these um, flaws in mm -hmm. the response. DeWine on Tuesday says he's going to track down every ventilator from the manufacturer. Basically, you know, serial number by serial number, find out who they got sold to, where they are currently or last known to be located, knock on doors and take them the hell out of there and be like, yo, we're going to Debo these. These are our bikes for the time being. <laughs> I love, I think it was the second time you've used the term Debo that way and I love it. Absolutely. Because I love this commandeering aspect under duress. Like it's, it's totally necessary and totally appropriate. And then you had uh, Cuomo follow Cuomo up with follow it up on Friday. The same thing. So it is appropriate thinking under these circumstances. Yeah. No, it's it, it, DeWine coming through again. He has been an absolute horse for Ohio uh, this entire time. And I'm, I couldn't be prouder of the job that he and Dr. Amy have been doing for us. So a big thank you to them. Uh, we thank them every week. But uh, other states should really take notice because Ohio, by and large, has relatively treated this with the, the attention and the, the severity uh, that it needs to be treated with. And because of that, we're doing better than the other states. And I think this is the perfect time to introduce the uh, interview that I did with Mayor Kat Miller of the city of Struthers.
her approach to the coronavirus pandemic is to have a curfew, one of the more drastic measures that we've seen, and she just wants to make sure that her constituents are safe. So let's take a listen to that. Let's hear it. All right, we are here with the mayor of the city of Struthers, Miss Mayor Kat Miller. How you doing, Kat? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing just fine. Um, I wanted to first start and say thank you very much for joining us on the show. Of course. I wanted to congratulate you right out the gate for being the first woman mayor in Mahoning County here where I live, which is, you know, includes the city of Youngstown. So big ups to you. That's that's awesome. Thank you very much. How does that feel? You get a lot of support from the, the female community about that? Yes, but actually I've got no knock on all the women, but I've got support from everywhere in our city, men, women, younger adults. Yeah, so it's been, but we do have our strong force of women in this area, as you know. Yeah, I think it's great. And I was just watching uh, Dr. Amy Acton yesterday, and it was, I believe, like Doctor's Appreciation Day, and they did a little montage for her, and it was just so awesome to see such an awesome local or, you know, statewide uh, female positive role model for all, all the little girls out there. Absolutely. And I just heard she's going to be the keynote speaker for the Athena Awards, too. So wow. she's somebody we should be very, very proud of from this area. No doubt. I mean, it sounds like it's going to be tough to keep her in our position. Uh, that's all right, though. That's all right. We do nothing but create talent around here. Yes, Absolutely. I know you're still, you know, relatively new in the position, but like, what is a typical day? I mean, you just got sworn in last November. Um, let's uh, say that at the outset. Yes. What is a typical day for you like under these circumstances? Well, under these circumstances, typical days have been nothing but conference calls. Everything's on the phone. Um, it's been putting, trying to put out as many fires as we possibly can. Um, while trying to stress to people they need to stay home. Um, I didn't really get a, a guideline or a manual on how to deal with a pandemic as a mayor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then let me go back a little bit in time. Uh, what was it like initially on a day-to-day basis for you? What, what were your operations like and how, what's a day in the life of the, the small to medium town, size town mayor? Yes, initially it was a lot of meetings Um, A lot of just getting to know the faces around, a lot of placing the right people around me. Um, So different employees, um, we had to make a couple changes. There were some people that we kept on board, um, Mm -hmm. but just getting my team of people together. Um, Someone told me once that a a good quote to live by is that you always want to be the the dumbest person in the room at all time. So I've tried to, oh yeah. So I've tried to surround myself with good, intelligent people. So... I have you on the show because of the curfew that you put in place. I would say that that is by far the most uh, drastic steps that we have seen from any city or municipality in Northeast Ohio. Is that correct? That is correct. Now, this isn't something we did to try to get well-known in the area or try to get any kind of notoriety about it. Um, This is something that cities all over the nation are already doing. It's not something we just made up overnight to try to do. Um, We're just trying to further enforce the governor's orders uh, of the stay at home order. So it's something that we we thought out. There were a couple of things in the order in the very beginning was very confusing. um, And we got a a lot of pushback from it initially. So there was actually one of the 
one of the pieces on there that we did not go ahead, go through with and sign. Um, we were from the very beginning, we knew there was going to be pushback and, and I'm okay with that. That's why mm-hmm. I'm in the position I'm in because there's decisions sometimes that, that are hard that need to be made. Um, but we were well aware that there was going to be people that, that didn't like this. Um, but we have, I reached out because we're such a small community. I reached out to every single business that is open during those times. So what we're saying is, is that from 1130 at night to five in the morning, we don't see there any essential businesses that are functioning at that time. Um, we've had nothing but cooperation from the businesses and Struthers, and they actually agreed to close before the curfew time to work mm-hmm. with the city. And I know that's something that would be harder for, for a bigger municipality to do. Um, but like I said, we have, um, we're on first name basis with all of our business owners and, and right, they've been right. nothing, but they, d- they didn't like it, of course, but they were willing sure. to comply just to be on the same page with the city. So we have, I, I would say most of the pushback very, it, it's been a lot of the people who opposed me um, in the elections. It's those same people that are coming out and saying that they don't support it, that I'm um, that I'm just on a power trip and, and anybody that knows me knows that is not the case at all. So I would say overall, Struthers has had a very, very good response to it. It's the people that don't live in Struthers and it's, and it's all the people who opposed me during the election. So I'm okay with that. Um, if they yeah. wanted to, to have a politician in place, um, that was going to just do what the bare minimum and just go, go along to get along, then they should not have elected me. Um, I'm not going to do what's politically correct all the time. Yeah. So you're, you're going to get pushback and you're saying that you got pushback from essentially all the likely sources. And that is to be expected. I think you mentioned the one clause in the initial order that, um, got, didn't get implemented. And that was the one dealing with no juveniles allowed out at any time. Yes. So what we were seeing was that that people, all the children were still hanging out in large groups, um, going to and from places to the park. And and that's not what Governor DeWine is advising right now. So we were trying to come up with something just to combat that. However, I did have a lot of people reach out to me as soon as we posted this um, that brought up very valid points. So I, 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 I will I will be the first one to admit when we made a mistake. Um, I don't think that one was well thought through and that's why we didn't sign it. So I I had a lot of people say, well, what if my son wants to walk the dog? What if my son or daughter wants to go for a run? Um, And and that's those are completely valid points. And that's why we did not sign that part, because there were so many holes in that order. But but it's a big problem in in Struthers. It's a big problem all over right now is, is that some of the younger generation, they just aren't understanding how serious this is. I absolutely agree. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, but I think that, you know, you were definitely being a little um, over prudent uh, at the outset. And then to be able to sit here and say that you, you know, want to take part of that back because it was a little bit a little bit too much. And there are so many extenuating circumstances that people do need to be out for, you know, of that age group. You know, I commend you for that as well, because you saw that when the letter of the law met, you know, the, the rubber meets the road or whatever, like it wasn't going to be implemented as well as possible. It's about resources. So in a small town, I guess you kind of have to go with how many cops you have that you're able to enforce these rules. And if you can maybe pare down society by a third of the day or whatever, then that would be beneficial to everybody involved. 
Yes, absolutely. And I've got, um, through this whole process, I've had people calling me and saying, well, how are you going to enforce this? You're putting the cops at more of a risk. Um, we are simply, uh, we are not having our officers actually get out of the car. Um, that's something else we worked with the police department on, the enforcement part of it. Um, so the okay. plates will be run and our law director is going to take part in, in the enforcement part of it. But we're not it's not anything where we're locking down the town. We're just saying you need to have an, a, a, a reason why you're driving through our town at that night. And I've got people that said, oh, the virus only tra travels between 1130 and five. No, no, that's not the case. But right, we do know right. that it travels quickly. So if we're able to stop people from Youngstown or people from other cities coming to Circle K and coming to Dunkin Donuts and Sammy Quickstop and pressing all the buttons and touching everything and then we need to stop the movement of the disease. And I, I understand. I've been getting comments back and forth um, regarding different things, but I think this one, we, we've pretty much ironed everything out between our police department um, and our law director. I think that it was probably the best common sense approach for the municipality of your size. And you have a makeup that it might be similar to a lot of places around the country where you have juveniles who are disregarding the order in large numbers and congregating. Um, you know, I run through Mill Creek Park and I wish I brought my megaphone just so I could yell at him and be like, go the hell home for your parents. <laughs> uh, there's too many of you, six feet, where, get a ruler, you know, whatever. So you have that. You have, you know, a bunch of kids with nothing to do and maybe the parents aren't being as diligent as they could be with saying stay in the yard or whatever. And maybe they're not getting the best um, example at home because their parents are disregarding and they're out there doing the daily trip that they don't need to make because they just can't sit inside. You know, yes. like I know that these are the inklings that are taking place in every household right now. But um, so there's there's the kids and then there are, you know, the transitive properties of, let's say, uh, you know, you have down there on Midlothian Boulevard. You have a lot of, you know, intersectionality with other places that aren't, you know, part of your curfew. But you want to make sure that your city is protected. So yes. I can understand where, like, uh, let's say. 75% of the people at that store aren't even people from your town at night. Yep. So why, you know, invite that into essentially the bounds of your community where you are, you know, responsible. Right. Absolutely. Um, so that's the second part. And then the third part was, you know, vulnerable populations. You know, you got a lot of elderly people in Struthers and um, you just want to make sure you can mitigate the spread of this within those vulnerable communities as much as possible. Yes, absolutely. And we've been working with, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Kristen Olney. Um, she's one of our Struthers girls. She's uh, come up with a, she's helped to develop this uh, quick action group um, where they, if they, if anybody needs food, medicine picked up, delivered, transportation to and from medical appointments, someone to talk to just to check in to help get supplies. Um, oh, she, nice. she has a group that she's work. It's actually set up. So they're able to call this number. So for the older population, I know we suspended our senior van transportation recently mm -hmm. just because um, we have some workers that are part time that we've had to tell to seek the unemployment, seek unemployment for, for this very moment. Um, mm -hmm. But we had to suspend those services, but we still have that those people who are in need. So we're able right. to, to hand them off to somebody else and help basically fit the the puzzle together and figure out no. where we can be of service was this a organization that uh was born out of another existing organization or one that just popped up for this instance no one that just popped up for this instance i know kristen only 
um, had a lot of people calling her saying, I want to volunteer. I want to help. Um, a lot of people, and that's, that's, I know that's, that's our Mahoning Valley. That's how we do things. But, mm-hmm. but even on a smaller scale, that's how Struthers handles things. Um, I can't right. tell you how many people have reached out to me that said, who needs food? Who needs supplies? Who needs all this? We'll go purchase it. We'll drop it off on their porch. We can t- transport back and forth. We have so many people that have reached out that want to help. Um, I know somebody was saying about Mr. Rogers with, with the movie, um, okay. that you always look for the helpers. And I can tell you, our yes. city especially is filled with helpers. And I have to say that, I mean, this is going to be buried a little bit deep into our interview, so that might be good for me. But I will admit fully to you right now that in retrospect, uh, growing up in Canfield, I am envious of the tight-knit community that Struthers is. <laughs> Wait, I, I got to tell you right now. <laughs> We, I've been here my whole life, and that, that's just how we do things. Um, it really is. And so it's so amazing that you guys have, like, figureheads and organizers that are well-known within the community that can be um, accessed at a time like this. Yes. And I think, too, um, just with the election, with, with me winning the election, just said so much. Um, not, Mayor Stalker did a, a great job. But one of the things we're trying to stress going forward is that we're all together. We're all part of a team, um, our employees, our residents, that everybody's on this on the same page um, right now. So I know that going through this pandemic, that makes a huge difference because that's the atmosphere fear from the top down. Is That's what we're trying to create is that we're all in this together, especially during a time like this. I couldn't agree more. And to that point. Do you think that um, like an event such as this giant pandemic, which is uh, touching everyone's lives, do you think that it has a chance to be a restorative force in like our trust for institutions? Because you know it has eroded so much in the past 30 or 40 years that our response to this, you know, as a society and as a, you know, communities and institutions within those communities is, is going to be under the microscope and, and people are going to formulate their opinions probably for the next generation based on it. Yes, I actually I think um, this will say a lot going forward because you're you're able to see who's there to help, who's willing to help. I know the, the Rotary, um, we have a lot of the churches who are there. Um, it's it's forcing people to to stay at home and and have dinner together and it's forcing the families to become stronger and focus mm-hmm. on some of the things that that are genuinely in, important in society today not necessarily um sports and and, and other things like that but it's, it's forcing us to to really appreciate one another more oh yeah absolutely great point i want to finish the interview by asking you what is one thing that social distancing has made you miss the most um, just the one-on-one human contact. Um, I know something that's going on today, it, it's, it's a lot of little things. Um, but we have one of our captains who's retiring today, Captain Bundy. And normally we would make this a huge event. I know he's going to have a retirement sure. party, but little things like that, that we just can't physically be there for. Um, and I know one of my very best friends is in the hospital right now, not with Corona. Um, but there's there's parts that I just need to be with my girlfriends and I need to physically connect, but it, it's 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 a lot different. It's something that that we're all not used to, and I know a lot of people are getting stir crazy, um, but just the the physicality of it, just being face to face, it's it's a lot different 
over the phone or over the computer, even Zoom calls. Right. Um, there's just nothing like being face to face with someone. Absolutely. No matter how many Brady Bunch windows you have up on the on the screen, it's still not the same. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And also, um, I think that we'll just have to maybe have a mission accomplished when we can say that we have a definitive cure for this thing. And we'll just have like this giant global party, everybody on the same day. How's yes. that sound? <laughs> I, and I can't wait because I know we have a lot of businesses. Um, a lot of our small businesses are restaurants. They've been um, doing a lot of takeout orders um, and deliveries. I can't wait to go to one of my to a restaurant. I can't wait to sit down and have food there. <laughs> um, well, another part of that too is there's so many things, especially being the first in the first couple months of this, that projects that we wanted to start and things we really wanted sure. to, to dig our heels into, and everything's just put on hold right now. Um, and and that's a hard part because I want I, there's so many things that we wanted to do with council and with with everybody because we're all getting along everybody's cooperating with one another and there's so many things we could be getting accomplished right now that's mm-hmm. that's just on hold. Well, hopefully that this will continue and usher in a era of good feelings and and we'll get out of this and work really well together from here on out. Yes, I believe so. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mayor. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much, too. All right. Have a good day. You, too. Again, I want to thank Mayor Miller. She gave us some really great time and some really great answers, and we wish her all the best. Thank you, Mrs. Mayor. So that was basically in response to what we were seeing play out in the numbers in Youngstown, because we saw on Wednesday that Youngstown was leading Ohio, or excuse me, Mahoning County was leading Ohio in total deaths. And that's not total deaths per capita, it was total deaths per county, which is absolutely ridiculous. Now we were leading in total cases per capita, which is also ridiculous. So we're seeing a lot of people completely disregard the stay-at-home order, disregard the social distancing, and therefore you need some more drastic measures being put in place at the local level to address these things and keep people safe. Yeah, that's kind of, you look at it as a, a poster child for what not to do, and the results show. If you're not doing the right things, you get to be posterized for a different thing. And that's being uh, the the leading uh, city in Ohio where you've got, what, six cities larger than you, much larger. And how, how do you possibly have more than Columbus or Cleveland? It's just nuts. You need to take it seriously. It has to be taken Absolutely. seriously. And so that's like, that's really a case study for a lot of small to medium sized towns that might think they know better or just might be uh, stuck in a certain way of doing things that don't want to um, take the, these really odd and alien precautions seriously because I can understand how foreign they feel in your daily life. Mm-hmm. So speaking of Youngstown and Ohio, um, Trump has gone ahead and uh, decided the same thing we decided a couple weeks ago that uh, lifting all of this uh, stay-at-home recommendation stuff, uh, Easter, probably not a realistic timeline, for that, and he went ahead and extended uh, our stay-at-home order until uh, May first. Something that uh, our good governor here has already ordered us to do. Um, but you know, it, it, that doesn't mean it's going to be May first. It could be extended again. So what we're really looking at is things like um, these ventilators and how quickly we're going to start getting them out there, and also treatments, vaccines, things like that. Uh, there was a antibody test. Uh, they've been doing uh, with mice uh, so far 
This is over on the West Coast. They've developed stuff that isn't really a vaccine, but they've developed uh, antibodies that have proven to be successful in limiting the uh, severeness of how the the coronavirus is going to affect people. Um, Sure. So that's optimistic news. Um, They're even looking to try to get this stuff out to people by fall. But again, we're only talking about till May 1st. So all of this stuff is great news, but you still got to stay home. If you don't stay home in the Philippines right now, you get shot because their president, <laughs> President Duterte oh, in the yeah, Philippines, right. he's not having it. So be glad that our lockdown is somewhat more of a suggestion. Just abide by the suggestion and be glad you don't live in the Philippines right now. And there are citations. There are tickets being sent out and given, and it's understandable because you have to have some kind of dissuasion. You have to have some kind of enforcement, and you have to keep the law enforcement officers safe. So they have to be able to do that at a distance. Maybe that shows up in the mail a couple days you know, down the road. But you're going to feel the effect of it if you're not playing by the rules because the rules are what's going to keep everyone safe. And we don't want the solution to be uh, worse than the pandemic itself. But nobody is saying that anyone is doing anything wrong by extending these stay-at-home orders. What we have is a time of uncertainty on so many fronts. So we are dealing with getting people life-saving equipment and life-saving treatment now and we're also dealing with getting them and keeping them afloat financially and we're trying to do one before the other rightfully but we're also trying to do both we're trying to do both at once and that's the responsible thing to do the focus obviously right now even with president trump who who clearly has had his eye on the economy this entire time and that's fine but you know he's he's actually invoking uh what is it, the Defense Act, Defense Production Act, uh, to get all of these other companies. I think we mentioned already he had GM uh, working to make ventilators, uh, but he's got five or six other companies he's ordered now to also uh, get on board with uh, the ventilator production, manufacturing here in uh, the United States, getting more ventilators out there. And of course, we've got uh, good people like your friend who we'll have an interview with later, um, providing even more uh, ventilators to get out there for the millions of people who are needing them now or who are going to need them over the next couple months. But ongoing, yeah, we've uh, more and more people infected. So those of you who are saying, well, uh, I don't really know anyone that's been infected yet. Well, I have a, I have a pretty good friend who was uh, infected recently. Um, she's, she's at home uh, with her kids, but she is suffering right now with her positive diagnosis, and it sucks really bad. Is she bad. quarantined off from her kids? Uh, she is, yes. But she, she's oh, at man. home, yeah. She's got um, help with her one of her nannies or something. And then, uh, meanwhile, the brother of uh, of uh, the mayor of New York City, Chris Cuomo, um, Andrew's younger brother, works at CNN. He's been quarantined. Um, yeah, it didn't like it wasn't like Don Lemon crying about that. Yeah, or something. people were really upset at uh, CNN. I think they've had another. I didn't anchor. know if he was bad or anything. Is he doing okay? He is doing okay. He's been giving updates daily. He he seems to be okay. I said he's having some trouble sleeping. And of course, who's a hotter topic right now? But the Tiger King, Joe Exotic, in <laughs> he is, prison. He is so, my man has blowed up though, right? Yeah. I mean, my goodness. He's going to have action figures when he's out of the clink. Yeah, the Tiger King, uh, Corona positive. And the one that uh, hit really close to me, you know, okay, obviously my friend, that was a really big deal, but I was a big fan of the band uh, Fountains of Wayne all through college. Uh, the, the lead singer and uh, main songwriter's name is uh, Adam Schlesinger and He's just a phenomenal songwriter. 
And he was only like 50 something. 52. And he was diagnosed the morning he died that night. Uh, you hate to hear about something that has an onset that quick. Exactly. Yeah, like, that is terrifying. If you're still that on the fence terrible. wondering about how dangerous this disease could be, no, it's not going to kill everybody. Lots of people are going to be fine. But this could happen too. And to think that you're immune, to assume immunity is the worst thing to do because not only that, but you're going to go out and you're going to be reckless and it's going to cause other people. Right. You've got people in their 20s and 30s just laughing away like, ah, it only affects really old people. Like, well, this, honestly, it doesn't actually. It's like, hey, guess what? Who's been holding shit down for the last 50 years? I mean, yeah, they're the boomers that you make fun of, but they have made every building, window, door, and road, and whatever that you use every day. They've been getting shit done, so right. you don't want to take them out right, you know, right now. And regardless of any <laughs> of that, why would you want to, why would you risk the lives of these people just like, well, I'm not going to die, they are. Like, these are it's your It's reckless, parents. and these it's anti-humanistic. Your, your aunts, your grandparents, these are people, like, they would die for you. And you are literally saying, yeah, you can die for me. So, uh, it's disgusting. So what do we have going on in politics? The Dems moved their uh, their convention to August 17th. Yeah, they pushed that. Advisable. Made sense. Yeah, yeah but you have other people who are being really stupid. Like, uh, I think Wisconsin is still going to have a primary they on Tuesday. They are. They're still having a... They're, but they've got the next Tuesday for the absentee ballots still. Right, but can you believe they're still asking people to go to the polls under these conditions? It's, yeah, I, it's a little hard to wrap your head around. Uh, I, I don't know what it's like on the ground there, but I know that they do have cities, and they do have population centers where density is an issue, and that the disease has to be present. It's not the middle of Wyoming. I mean, there are lots of lots of people in Wisconsin. I I just hope a lot of them are smart enough to just do an absentee ballot you know, it gives you an extra week. You don't have to go out of the house. Just if you're in Wisconsin right now and you're listening, absentee ballot. Right. But what's the harm with them extending it to June like Ohio? Did? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, there's exactly. there's no reason. Like I said, I can't wrap my mind around it. Uh, meanwhile, Trump uh, really coming out of the blue here and saying uh, it's unfair that 30 million Americans are uninsured. And now he wants to expand Medicare and Medicaid. Where did this come mm-hmm. from? Now, I'm not sitting yeah. here saying that Medicare and Medicaid are inherently socialist by nature, but they're the type of socialism that the conservative right of this country rails against pretty regularly. Well, this sounds like something he would say about gun manufacturers and regulations after a shooting, except like we're going to have the equivalent of a mass shooting every day. So we're going to have more people clamoring for the knee-jerk reaction solution that he is proposing. Right. Like, you know what I mean? So we're going to have people saying, hey, you suggested something that could actually benefit all these people. We are now all these people one by one being added to the roles. Um, so uh, what were you talking about again? Can we, can, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, like these things are going to get the light of day if he keeps opening his mouth about well, it. Well, th- that's just the thing. Now that he said something like that, you're going to have half the country suddenly on board with something they weren't on board with before. I mean, he really yeah. carries that kind of weight. Like literally mm-hmm. the kind of weight that he carries right now, there have been death threats to Dr. Fauci because he's not agreeing with really? everything that everything incorrect, I should note, that Donald Trump is saying because they're not aligned. It's like the internet, though. I guess you could find anything. And of course, of course, there's going to be that 
damn lunatic who's going to do something like that to someone who's obviously just trying to do his best from a scientific perspective. He is doing his like, best. She's shame, doing better than shame, most people could do. Shame on these people. Yeah, I mean, I listened to an interview with him on the New York Times. This man is not sleeping. No. He is he's, <laughs> he's getting about maybe three to four hours a day. Yeah. And I don't think the guy slept since the Reagan uh, administration. He's been doing his Honest job that long, and I don't think he sleeps. You right. look at the guy. He's actually right. only about 39 years old. That's just how he looks because he doesn't sleep. <laughs> but it's, it's absolutely nuts. Man, they have that, bad lighting at those, <laughs> at those pressers. It's absolutely nuts that there's somebody, that multiple somebody's out there. They're going to send this guy a death threat because the facts that he's giving you aren't aligning them all. with what Trump is telling you. Get out of here. Right. And so shame on them all at a local level as well if you hear people who are just completely poo-pooing the severity of this maybe it's time to stick up for yourself and stick up for the rest of humanity right. and be like yo man how about you get on board for a few weeks or at least for you know the basics for a few months and just try to save a couple lives with the rest of right. us and when in doubt My usually goodness. listen to the guy that has doctor in front of his name over the random guy who got bankrupt from a casino and his own vodka. So, uh, uh, as for us, we've got good stuff going on. Gas is way down. Oh my God. It is almost under a dollar here in it's Northeast crazy. Ohio, bro. It's like the price it was my freshman year of college. It's nuts. I know. It's like the roaring twenties, except not so roaring. So nothing is <laughs> roaring, <laughs> but the bars are closed. So that's kind of a, a little bit prohibition like, Right, but I think I saw that wine consumption was up 60% in the state. So um, beer and wine stores are seeing a boon. What a shock. <laughs> Not a shock at all, but at least There's we have some things to, to watch. Guess what? Louis C.K. has a new special dropped yesterday. Yeah, I didn't know about this. So tell me more. You know I'm a huge Louis C.K. fan, and I did not jump ship a few years ago when uh, the, the Me Too stuff came out. Uh, again, I don't approve. I don't condone any of that stuff. Um, it's gross, but I still appreciate a good performance when I see it. And this is one of the funniest men alive. He still is. Yeah. So obviously I am totally conflicted about any of that stuff because you have the difference between canceling someone for good and having some real serious thoughts about someone for a period of time. And that's what I had with right. Louis C.K. because you hear about it, and it seems really situational, what he did and the, those types of actions. But it also sounds like uh, someone was definitely going over the limit. It's not equivalent to the severity of a Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby, to me, is canceled forever and ever. And that's why I feel really bad whenever I hear one of his jokes or see an old special or, God forbid, a Cosby show, I have such negative emotions and, and thoughts about the, the severity of his actions. And so you put that through the same filter, and then, I don't know, do I feel okay listening to what Louis C.K. has to say because it's been X amount of days, weeks, or months? Yeah, kind of. And that's odd to say, but I have to right. be honest about it. Yeah, I... I'm okay with, I think now, I don't think that it should be a tragedy that makes people want to forgive people, um, but right now, I would love to hear from Louis C.K. Um, now, I'm not saying that I want to hear from Bill Cosby and from Harvey Weinstein or anything like that, but uh, now is the time that we need voices like Louis C.K. because he is a pragmatic voice. Regardless of what he did, 
If um, you want to talk about the aptitude and the intellect and the insight that he brings to the culture. He's I, a brilliant guy. I yeah. think that we have been without him far too long. And I wish that he never did the things that he did so that we would never had to have been without him. Yeah, have several years where he's gone. But right. uh, he's got the same kind of voice as somebody like uh, Dave Chappelle, where culturally they, they're making jokes, but they really are impacting the way people think about serious things. So this is a time where we need we need to have levity, but we also need to have the kind of levity that he brings because he's also informative and he's intuitive about the, the way that he uh, addresses his audience. And um, I'm glad to see that he's got stuff coming back. Uh, yeah, me too, because I need to fill my time with more than just killing groundhogs. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I've got to stop binging terrible things on Netflix. So I think that wraps it up for this week. That was a extremely busy week, and I guarantee you we're going to have another one ahead of us. We sure are. And for now, we should uh, try to welcome in our two interviewees and uh, see what's going on with these ventilators. Very happy to have with us some of the folks from the COVID-19 Ventilator Open Source Project stemming right from here in Columbus, Ohio. We have Tarek Youssef, the founder and CEO, and Liz George Stump, president of Business Operations. Tarek, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I own uh, TY Fine Furniture. We design and make solid wood furniture. And more recently, I've been working as really the technical and design guy for the COVID-19 ventilator project. Yeah, and that has definitely taken precedence probably over anything in your life and, and all of ours. And we're really grateful for all of your efforts so far. Can't wait to tell everybody about what's going on there. And Liz, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, in my day job, I work in financial services, background in both HR and um, operations and leading teams in those spaces. Uh, but uh, for the ventilator project, I have translated those skills into how do we make the business side of this run and how do we coordinate and and work through that. You're working on these ventilators. Uh, what makes your ventilators so much easier uh, to produce in mass than uh, the standard, more expensive uh, ventilators that people are struggling to find? The goal was to make something that solves the immediate problem, which is how do you get a lot of ventilators out in the world affordably, right. availability. Quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And with, um, you know, parts supply has been a serious problem. So we tried to, you know, minimize that too. Um, because just cause you can make it doesn't mean you can get the parts. So you essentially you're, you're making a ventilator for, I think you said a thousand dollars for, uh, considering the other ventilators are costing $10,000. Uh, I think you quoted, how are you, how are you getting it down to that price? That's one tenth of the cost. Um, there's very few parts. Uh, we are using an extremely compact, affordable controller. Uh, it's, you know, it's really perfect for this application. Uh, what type of hurdles have you had to uh, jump over trying to get uh, through this process, testing-wise or whatever else, uh, so that you can start getting your products out there to the people who need them? It's a complex process, so learning and understanding the process so that we know where to go and where to look and who to talk to mm-hmm. is quite complex. Getting somebody at the FDA to pick up the phone <laughs> or 
or return a phone call is apparently yeah. impossible. Um, I bet <laughs> you should have been tr- you should have been doing dry runs of that the whole time, just in case. Yeah, right. <laughs> Who do I, I need like, to get a hold of? Yeah, where are you guys? Um, and so it it's become you know somewhat of a political problem more than even a you know um, a technical issue. I we spoke to some FDA experts just yesterday. Um, and we were hearing timelines as short as 72 hours for approvals. So wow. we're oh, hoping that, amazing. you know, within a week we might be able to get an, uh, a emergency use approval. Um, and, you know, we did get an email from the governor's uh, board on ventilators yesterday. Okay. Um, That's great. Essentially green lighting. They were recommending our product to the FDA. Nice. So that's that's very very positive, you know. So once all that falls together, I think we're in good shape to start producing. Right as soon as within a week, I mean, we're ready. It, we're just waiting for the red tape. Are you targeting a certain area where you're going to start distributing them first, or is it just local first and then first come first serve? Like, do you have a plan for that? Uh, my goal is Columbus, of course. I mean, I'd like to start here and work our way. That's out. good to know if I need one. So. Yeah, right. You know who to call. Um, <laughs> but um, I'd like it in Columbus. and uh, But I'm not, to, to be honest, I think the state's done a really good job of managing the issue. Yeah, I'm not totally convinced we're going to need them here in Ohio um, necessarily. But that's okay. I mean, uh, a life is a life and it doesn't matter in my mind where it goes. Uh, we don't want to ignore Liz and all this. Ron, do you have any questions for Liz? Well, I was just thinking, Liz, what is what is the biggest breakthrough that you've had on your end most recently? You know, I think um, there have been a couple things that have really shaken loose in particular this week for us. Uh, we've had uh, some really excellent conversations with um, doctors that have stepped up and said, uh, here are the things that we need, right? So when, when Tarek talks about ensuring that we can do most of the things that all but the very worst scenarios from COVID need, um, that's because there's some doctors that, you know, spent time on video conference with us at 8.30 to 10.30 at night, <laughs> right? Walking us through, here's what we need. I'm looking at this. How does this work? Let me explain the medical science behind this so that you better understand how to loop that back into the design. Um, f- folks, like Tark said, from from the governor's office and lieutenant governor's office saying, hey, we, like, we looked at your product. Here are a few more questions. How are you addressing these things, right? So that's really helped refine kind of the basic design to say we can be really, really confident that, that, that this is going to push forward. I think one of the hardest parts because of finding people with the expertise is is really starting to wrap our arms around the FDA process and what's needed there and where uh, we believe we will have um, places where there's more flexibility versus here's the bar that we have to meet and here are contacts to help you meet those bars, right? So. Um, in a normal world, what we're trying to do can can and usually does take years, 
we have seen that even in these emergency circumstances, mm-hmm. they have been a little less than efficient. Right. Uh, right. So we, yeah, we can, I, totally understandable that you would want to be on them morning, noon, and night about getting this thing expedited. One of the things that that is interesting, my my background is by and large uh, working with large corporate organizations, and and Tarek has that in his background as well as small business ownership, and um, really having a front row seat to folks like Tarek and Amanit who are entrepreneurs and seeing how they work um, and comparing that with what my experience has been, I can see the the variance in how quickly we've been able to move because problems come up and it is straight to a conversation of, okay, here's the problem. Here are five different ways we need to pursue potentially solving it. Sure. I think that when you bring up the fact that they have small business in their background and you liken it to working in the medical or with the medical field, you have got to be your own best advocate. And you really have to be on top of everyone at all times because no one is going to do it for you. And those are really good traits to be bringing into this fight. Yeah. And and that's where there is a tension between how do we move quickly, nimbly, and agilely, and how do we engage bigger partners who do have resources? That brings me back to a a point that I was trying to get to with Tark uh, at the outset. Have you um, obviously been abreast of the other initiatives um, about 3D printing ventilator projects uh, globally? Um, is was there any thought of tying in with them, or were you using the same open source platforms uh, as a basis? There are so many different shops around the world trying to address this problem in their own unique way, and I, you know, my perspective the whole time has just been like, "Good, do that," <laughs> because we need people doing it different ways from different angles. Um, because we just don't know. Maybe the supply of high-density polyethylene plastic disappears tomorrow. You know what I mean? Maybe Let's have another design on the back burner in case. Yeah, and fail-safe for everything. And everybody needs to order, buy, make from their local supply chain. So, like, there are similar projects like this in other parts of the world, but they're in other parts of the world, and they're using Mm -hmm. parts that you would never even see in the U.S., yeah, that makes sense. Not and just long, for the knowledge as long sharing. as they're all functional, you know, the, the end result is that you just want to be able to provide people with uh, life-saving equipment. And depending on the avenue you go, I mean, at, that doesn't really matter as long as we get to the same uh, ending. It's never been this sort of an issue, you know, like the U.S. ventilator industry makes 14000 a year. The U.S. needs <laughs> right, a right. million. <laughs> so when you think of those numbers, you know, this is just a whole nother. This is a truly humanitarian endeavor. And so that is, that's why we are so happy that you are doing this. Uh, like, yeah. I just got to say thank you guys both very much for your time. Huge thank yous for uh, both of you. And uh, congratulations on uh, the work that you're doing right now. It's admirable to say the least. So thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time to uh, interview us today. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having us.
Okay, we want to thank Tark and Liz very much for sharing their time and sharing their fantastic new effort with us. Yeah, we really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for being on, and uh, we hope that you're able to reach more people. We're going to have tons of links up in the show notes for this episode. As always, do the thing. Share us, like us, all that good stuff, and we will see you again next week. All right, everybody take care and be safe. Bye.